I'm Harold, one of the pastors. It is so good to be with you in worship. Uh, I don't think uh, you may know my heart in this season. I don't take for granted and how much my body and soul needs this time of hearing from God, singing together, fellowshipping. So thank God for this grace. We're going to continue in this series of Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, phones, it'll be projected overhead. I've entitled this third message, The Opposite of Wisdom. Let's look at these four verses, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Okay, Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 23, I'll read it for us. As our act of worship, let's give our full attention to this. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is God's word so far. Thanks be to God. So the Proverbs are verbal formulations of wisdom. The Proverbs from multiple authors endowed by the wisdom of God are passing along things so that we can learn them. And we have mentioned before that in the book of Proverbs that it is so wise, it is telling you this. You can choose to listen, take heed, take it seriously, Consider, meditate, internalize, remember and apply these things before real life has to teach you the hard way. The Proverbs are very protective and preventative. The Proverbs are telling you things about how real life works and this is the way you should live your lives. You can choose to really listen and apply these things or... You're going to learn the other way, which is real life and real people will have to teach you. The Proverbs offer the riches of wisdom. Oh, but also the Proverbs offer many insights into our natural predisposition, our foolishness. That's what our passage talks about today. As we open up the treasure chest of God's wisdom, yes, it offers the riches of wisdom, but also gives us much analysis and insight and warnings into our natural foolishness. Three questions, three angles. What is foolishness? Second, how many different kinds of fools are there? And third, how you can, how you can stop being a fool. How to not be foolish anymore. Three things. What is foolishness? How many different kinds of foolishness are there? And how to not be foolish anymore? What is foolishness? We've defined that wisdom is, biblically speaking, it's living and keeping with the cosmic order. If you recall, God put laws into every sphere or realm of existence and reality. There's laws everywhere, invisible laws. You can't see or touch or feel them immediately, but laws do exist. A wise person learns to live and keep with that cosmic order. Well, what is foolishness then? Foolishness is not. It's the opposite of that. In plain language, 
Foolishness is when you should know better, you do know better, but you do not live any better. Foolishness is you should know better, you do know better, but you do not do or live any better. If you find a four-year-old child playing with fire, matches and gas, like right next to each other, you might understand you wouldn't call that child a fool. I hope you don't. I don't think anyone in our children's ministry of our church would ever dare do that because that child is four years old. Or you see a four-year-old child, if he or she does not get his way, they have an over-emotional, dramatic meltdown at the tantrum and it causes all kinds of distraction and delay to the program or to the school or whatever is happening. Four years old. But what if that keeps happening when you're 40 years old? What if a 40-year-old has an over-the-top tantrum and meltdown because he or she does not get their way? A fool is a person who should know better, does know better, but does not live any better. You see, you could be so talented and successful in many things. I'm surrounded by it all the time. I thank God I'm a church that I'm never the smartest person in the room. I hope to God that will never be the case. You are, you are fascinating. I can't believe you can make that kind of art. Your computing engineering brain floors me sometimes. Your strategic planning abilities, your verbal argumentative abilities as a lawyer or a counselor, you're a fantastic teacher. You win awards left and right for your teaching. You're wise. You're excellent in lots and lots of areas of life. But you may not be so maritally. You might be super successful in business, but maritally, you're not wise. You're foolish. You may not be wise financially. You may not be wise emotionally, physically, spiritually. Human beings can be so wise, good at certain things, but this does not mean, and it will never mean, that you're good at all things. I saw this little program of former NFL players, professional football players, and I was stunned by the percentage of ex-professional football players within five years, how many of them become bankrupt. It's an outrageous percentage. No matter how athletic and how good you are on the football field, you've never learned, never been taught, never advised, never knew what to do with your money. Wise on the field, foolish with your money. During the NBA finals, professional basketball players, there's a sports commentator after Kevin Durant got hurt and Clay Thomas both got hurt on the Golden State Warriors. Here's what he said. I'll never forget it. He says, impatience with the body will punish you, always. Impatience with the body will punish you, always. Now, this is with world-class athletes. World-class athletes, they eat right, sleep right, get therapy right, they stretch, they're in tip-top form. But you rush your physical body, you try to undermine or shortcut physical laws of how your body should function, you try to short-circuit that, always punish you. 
always punish you. So you see in this room again, nobody disputes physical laws. Like after this worship service is over, you're not going to run across the street while a car is racing toward you. You know that you will immediately pay the price. Physical laws exist. And we know that if we defy or break them, we will pay for those physical laws. Here's what the Proverbs unveil. Here's what the Proverbs are saying. There's laws in every realm of your life, laws throughout all of reality. So the Proverbs unveil, you just cannot live any way you want. Physically speaking, I know now better than ever, I can't just eat any way I want. I used to think I could. You can't just eat any way you want as long as you want, or else you won't live healthy and strong. Well, let's just extrapolate that. That's the every realm of reality in life. You cannot just live any way you want. Did you know that? No, I, I know you can try. I know a lot of people in this room, you're just trying to live any way you want. Meaning, you're out for personal happiness, personal fulfillment, personal meaning, personal ha health, personal wholeness, personal riches. Fine. That's the way you're living right now. You are basically out for yourself. You're living all for yourself. Do you know what the Proverbs unveil? If you're out living only for yourself, you're going to end up all by yourself. You actually can't live any way you want. You can try. Go ahead and just live for personal happiness. You'll find that you're not happy. No one will be around you. You'll be disappointed. You'll be dissatisfied. You cannot just live any way you want. You can't make up laws as you go. You cannot just determine what's right and wrong just for you. Because quickly you're going to find, hmm, real people and real life actually don't bend to my will. Like I can't control them. You can barely do that with your spouse whom you love and they love you. But all of real life, all of the real life situations you have with people, they do not conform or cooperate or come and submissive to your laws of control. The Proverbs unveil, just as there are physical indisputable laws, there are laws in every realm. You cannot just live any way you want. Oh, this is a real key passage in Proverbs chapter 16, which lends us a warning. And as I read it, I cannot help but smile and want to cry a little because it describes me so many times. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right, right? We all have that. You have certain things that just seem and feel and look right. Looks right, feels right. Everyone thinks it's right. Everyone's doing it. This is our current culture. They're all about this. This is something natural to you. This is something that you should do because that's what you desire. This is how even made God made you so you should fulfill that. Here's what the Proverbs say. Foolishness will always pick a course of action because to your foolish sensibilities and mind, it seems right, but it's actually self-destructive and counterproductive. It could even be fatal. What is foolishness? What is foolishness? It's to not live and keep with the cosmic order. Now, how many different kinds of fools are there? I'm not sitting here trying to make up a list. It was right in our passage. It listed three. Verse 22, verse 22. There are simple fools, there are scoffing fools, and then third, it says a gentle word, fools. It's a common word. I'm going to translate that into stubborn fools. If we can see verse 22, please. And you see that simple, 
scoffers, and that last word, fools. Three different Hebrew words for three different kinds of foolishness. First, simple. What does it mean to be a simple fool or a simpleton? Let me say this. It does not equate with how educated you are. Please don't think that. I have met many, 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 many folks tend to be very educated, but we live very foolishly. Then I met a few folks who may not have gone through school or been educated per se the way that we're used to, but they're so sharp, so wise about real life. So please don't think simple means, oh, you're uneducated. Simple fool here means that you're too easily influenced and affected and led by other people who also happen to be fools. The simple fool is way too bent or shaped in a certain direction just by the current or popular tide. You might say gullible. The other day as I was walking with my youngest daughter Elizabeth, I'm thinking about training in my old iPad, the iPad Mini 2. That's about six or seven years old. That's pretty old. And I asked my daughter, hey, I'm thinking about trading this iPad to get a newer, bigger, better one now, the one with the pen where you can write. Hopefully, it'll translate into text. To me, that's like, that is genius. That's incredible. So Elizabeth, how old is your iPad? He's like, Dad, it's old. You got to trade mine too. How old is it? Two years. Two years, Dad. It's ancient. And of course, I turned around to her start to lecture for the next five minutes of how materialistic and selfish and spoiled she is. Woe well, is me as a parent living in Cerritos. My whole life is ruined. I can't believe I have a daughter like this. <laughs> but why does my daughter say that? Because everyone her age says that. Two years is ancient. You are old. You're outdated. And guess what happens on social media at the age of 14? Everyone posts, look at the new thing I got, the new dress, the new food, the new vacation. Look at the new cool friends I hang out with. Oh, you don't, ha, ha, ha. And simple fools, simple fools start to desire and get way too affected, too influenced. You think this is the end of the world if you don't do exactly what other people are doing. Do you know that you can even become a Christian and stay a simple Christian? Do you know what simple Christians are like? They're not pining after like substantial, deep, scriptural, biblical truths. They just want the latest and the greatest and the loudest. So they barely can stick with any kind of church or any community. They want the trendiest thing. They want the immediate relevant, the most experiential. But then here's what's ironic. Even the Proverbs lay it out. Do you know that the book of wisdom that they instruct is for a group of people that stick together? That wisdom only comes to people who actually read and apply and struggle with it together in one community. And the only way that you grow wise and lives are really changed and healed is over a long run. It takes some patience. It takes some friction. It takes some failing and hurt. But simple, simple Christians, even in this sense, will never learn that. This is the first kind of foolishness. Too easily influenced and led by others. You just care way too much of what other people think or do or feel about you. Here's a second type. We mentioned scoffers. Scoffers. Scoffers, you can translate synonym as smug or self-righteous. 
Scoffers are smug and self-righteous. They're always critical. They're always blaming. They're always kind of hitting back. You see, a simple fool gets too devastated by criticism. But do you know what happens to a a scoffer when you criticize him or her? They'll make sure to hit you back. They'll pay you back. Scoffers are incredibly sensitive and poisonous because of pure pride. Pure pride. You know, it seems to me nowadays that scoffers, however, are the ones that are popular and applauded. Podcasts, reality TV, radio hosts, political moderators. Who are the ones that get all the airtime? Who are the ones that kind of draw a mass appeal? Are they not the ones that have extreme opinions on everything? And they try to play and everything is black and white and demonize the other side and only my side is angelic and from God. Scoffers these days sound seem to be honest, brave, and maybe even smart. Scoffers are often accomplished and successful because they work so hard at their craft. Why? What's well, because of pride? Scoffers can even get involved and generous with many causes and charities as long as it serves social, economic, and political and personal interests. Scoffers can have lots of contacts. They got a lot of likes. They got a lot of so-called friends. They run with all these different crowds, but they're really hot or cold as soon as you don't serve their self-interest. Scoffers tend to be exploiting. They can be even abusive. But scoffers get ahead they do get ahead. That's somehow this, how this world works. They get ahead and they're accomplished in many ways, in many ways because it's ruthless, relentless self-interest that helped them get there. But do you know that in the end, simple fools or prideful fools, simpletons or scoffers, do you know that we all suffer the same fate? We suffer just like everybody else. As Steve Jobs was recorded in saying this, in others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. At this moment, lying on the sick sick bed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. Nonstop pursuit of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. God gave us the senses to let us feel the love in everyone's heart, not the illusions brought about by wealth. The wealth I have won in my life, I cannot bring with me. What I can bring is only the memories precipitated by love. That's the true riches which will follow you, accompany you, giving you strength and light to go on. Steve Jobs. I read other end-of-life stories from doctors, artists, prolific uh, writers. And there's a common theme. You know what the common theme seems to be? And you don't have to be religious or not. Down to the last man or woman, here's what they all say. Accomplishments, wealth, possessions, accolades, fame, awards. Not too meaningful. But on your deathbed, do you know what counts most? People who still love you. The people you got to love. And why would this be the case? You don't have to be religious to actually feel that. Because human beings were made by God for love and relationships. Pride and scoffing ruin both. There's a simple fool. 
Then there's a prideful scoffer. Here's the third. It's the most generic Hebrew word that is translated over and over and over. It pops up all through the book of Proverbs. It just says fools. Fools hate knowledge. I'm going to translate that into stubborn. The third kind is a stubborn fool. Whereas simpletons believe and are affected by every criticism, scoffers will make sure to pay you back for your criticism. Stubborn fools just shrug them off. They're like unfazed. You know everything to begin with. You always know what everything is going to turn out to be. You're unteachable and inflexible. The simple fool believes everybody, but the stubborn fool believes nobody but himself or herself. So here's the essence of foolishness. The third, last kind, it's actually the definition of all of foolishness. The essence of foolishness is doing things only one way, your own way. You are obstinate about this. You are super stubborn about this. You've always done it like this. Your family did it like this. This is how you came to this point in life. You have always gotten ahead doing this. According to the Proverbs, though, there are many, 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 many a time that the essence of your foolishness, though, is you continue to insist doing that one way your way. So if love in relationships is what counts most, it's maybe the most meaningful thing human beings can experience on this side of heaven. Let's look at a closer relationship like marriage. And when it gets prickly or tense or hard and you go through a fight, simpletons, simpletons are too vulnerable and gullible. They're too fragile. Simpletons in a bad marriage didn't even know it was bad. They're not in touch with reality. They're oblivious to it. Or when they do figure out it's really bad, they overreact, over-the-top emotional drama. It's not very helpful. That's simpletons. Scoffers, scoffers in marriages tend to be harsh and brutal and overbearing, and they hold on to grudges. Scoffers will tend to not forgive you. They got to pay you back. The third, generally stubborn fool, Generally, the essence of all fools is this. We're going to fix this all by ourselves. We're never going to get counseling. We're not going to share this with anybody. Please don't tell me how I should run my marriage or my kids. I don't need prayer. Please don't offer me help. Please don't try to invade into this private personal space. Stubborn fools, I'm just going to do it my way. Now, you see, as I describe these three general categories that the Proverbs lay out about foolishness, don't you see that you and I are at least one of them, if not all of them? Do you not see how often things that seem right to your own eyes, you always take that course of action, but it's actually the seeds of death? Don't we all identify with the simpleton or the scoffer or the stubborn fool? And in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32, toward the end of this majestic chapter, it reads, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. If the essence of foolishness is to do things one way, it's always my own way, 
And then wisdom keeps calling and crying out and warning and hinting and trying to intrude so that your life would go in a different direction, a redemptive direction, in a much better positive direction, in a healthier direction, a happier direction, a holier direction, a Godward direction. The essence of foolishness, though, is to not heed it. You stay complacent. You shrug it all off and say, oh, well, so be it. How can we not be fools anymore? How do we stop? How do I stop being such a fool? Listen, so far, if you think wisdom is just a teaching, a philosophy, a better worldview, a better way of life. Listen, if you hear all sermons that come out of this church or any other church and you think, oh, Pastor, wow, that's a good practical insight. I'm going to apply that. I'm going to internalize that. But if you think wisdom is only for you so that you can live a life better than everybody else while everyone else suffers the fate of fools, if wisdom is just a code, it's just a way of life that you get to live better than everybody else and you escape their, their misery, you're not Christian yet. You're not Christian yet. You're religious and self-righteous, but you're not Christian yet. That is not the kind of wisdom that Proverbs is talking about here, my friends. That you live better than everybody else and all the fools down there, they get to suffer their fate. Do you know that in Mark chapter 6, verse 2 in the gospel, Jesus taught in such an astonishing way, authoritative way, majestic way, powerful way. I, listen, I, the Bible regularly records that when Jesus stood up to teach, people in the audience, their minds, their brains were melting. They weren't just marveling. They were like mystified. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, the whole audience starts to ask, where did this man get that kind of wisdom? What kind of wisdom is this? And then in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, which we will project and I'll read it for us. Jesus said this to an audience who did not believe in him. Here's what he wrote. Uh, here's what he said. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, one of the prominent authors of this treasure trove. And in Solomon's heyday, did you know he was not just known for his wealth, for the splendor of his kingdom, but queens and kings would travel afar to come into his court because his wisdom was that renowned. Here is Jesus, and here's what he says. A queen would come all the way from the south to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now here's what Jesus claimed. He claimed to be wiser than the wisest man of all. He claimed that he is greater than Solomon at his apex. And nobody quite understood, what is this man talking about? Where does he get this kind of wisdom? Until he died. Until he was publicly crucified. But then by the power of God, he rose from death. Now, my friends, listen close. When a man who taught like this dies, but then the body goes missing, 
And all a bunch of people called early Christians believe that he actually rose from death. You see, Jesus came not to just claim that he's wiser than the wisest of all. He came to prove that he's better than anything you could have imagined or expected of him. And here's what Jesus came to do. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3. In Christ are hidden. He is the very wisdom of God that came all the way down. And the wisdom of God came down into our present life to save us in all of our foolishness. That's how you get the wisdom of God, through the very person and presence of Jesus. You know, I didn't read three or four verses here in chapter one, but I think they're shocking. We'll project it up for you. The rest of Proverbs 1 kind of goes like this. Because you have ignored all my counsel and it would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Do you know that the Bible is so realistic that it says, this is how real life, real world works. When you are deemed and proven to be foolish, you did something dumb, and you pay all of its consequences, do you know what's going to happen to you? People are going to laugh, they're going to taunt you, they're going to mock you, they're going to pile on. Even wisdom itself will laugh and mock you because you never paid heed. Why is this in the scriptures? You know, the Proverbs are like smelling salts. The Psalms are like healing, soothing ointments when you're bleeding out. It makes you feel better right away. The Proverbs are smelling salts. They're sobering, they awaken you to real life. You need both in your medicine cabinet. You need psalms when you're in the depths of depression and trouble because they tell you how to sing and write poetry and pray to God. They tell you how to cling to God when you're in pain. Do you know what the Proverbs do? They're smelling salts. They actually explain to you why you got into that pain. They make causal connections. Psalms are cathartic. Proverbs are make causal connections. And they tell you how to prevent and avoid all that kind of pain. But back to this passage. You know, I find it that in a wicked world, They love, love to pile on when you pay for your own wickedness. Publicly, social media, news 24-7. And it is the epitome of wickedness that you love to pile on someone else's wickedness, never your own. By the way, you know the three different kinds of fools? The disclaimer should be, you're always good at spotting the other kind of fool but yours. And that's what a wicked world does. That's what a wicked world does. And this is what Proverbs tell us exactly what happens when you do not pay heed or take counsel before wisdom. The natural fallen order, this is how the world works. That if you do not pay attention to wisdom, those laws will come and break break you back. And you'll have to pay. So don't you see, my friends? Why would it be then that Jesus Christ, who is the wisest of all, perfect and blameless and true, that at the cross, the wicked world piled on him? Do you know how the world taunted him? Do you know how the world mocked him? Do you know how the world spat upon him? Do you know how the world derided him and laughed at him? 
Oh, you claim to save other people. Why can't you save yourself? And I'll tell you how the wisest of all of mankind came down into planet Earth to suffer the fate of what you and I deserve, to suffer the fate of fools so that fools can experience the blessedness of his wise life. My friend, Jesus came to suffer and experience what you and I deserve. He suffered and experienced the opposite of what he deserves so that you and I can experience the, uh, the opposite of what we deserve. How? How? Well, first, there's no other way you got to do it. You got to repent. Oh, repent. That's a loaded word. Loaded word. Here's what, just real quick what I don't mean by this. There's never a person in this room right that the history of the church that ever became a Christian because you say, it'd be really nice to have a little bit of God in my life. You know, just baptize my business a little here, make my kids nicer, help my spouse to actually be more submissive. That's what I want from God. I just need a little God in my life. That is not repentance. You know what repentance means? You'll never be converted, you'll never change, you'll never become a Christian until you repent. Repentance means, I cannot believe what a fool I've been. I cannot believe that I've tried to run my own life. I've been trying to determine right from wrong. I've been the master and the ruler of my own life. Repentance is coming to your senses. It's getting back in touch with reality. And the reality is, there is a God. You're not. Here's a second way that you get the wisdom of God to come invade into your life. Repent. Stop running your own life. Receive. Receive Jesus Christ as God and Savior of all. Here's what you should pray. If you need to, Lord Jesus Christ, I've been such a fool. Please come and forgive me. Please come into my life. Take over my life. And the moment you do that, you can do that right here, right now. In the eyes of God, you become wise, and it's the wisest thing you'll ever do. You can do that for the first time today, and the rest of us who are Christians, you get to do it every day. There is no other way that you can live wisely. Every single day we are repenting and receiving Christ. For he came down, experienced the opposite of what he deserves, so that you and I can get the opposite of what we deserve. Let me put in one last disclaimer. To become wise in the eyes of God, to receive and follow Jesus, do you know that at that moment, the world is going to think you're a fool? A friend could, your boss could, your schoolmate, your neighbor, your family. But are you still willing to do it? See, there's no alternative. What I'm asking you this morning is to consider this. You can either become God's own fool, or you can just be a fool all on your own. For the foolishness, the foolishness of our world thinks that the wisdom of God is utterly stupid. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he had to die for me, that he had to be laughed at, he had to be ridiculed, he had to be so ashamed, so that he can give me what he deserves. At that moment, the world will think you're a fool, but you'll become God's own fool. Are you willing to do it? Repent and receive. We come to the table to do that now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the riches, the purity, the counsel, 
and the power of your word. We ask now that as we come to the table to take of the bread and of the cup, that you would awaken and emblazon faith that will produce good works, love, and fruit. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.